your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 903 with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And today's big thing, and we'll learn more next week. Daniel Kaplan, who joined us at 730, writing in The Athletic that Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Los Angeles Rams, has asked fellow NFL owners to give him a loan of $500 million because of the cost overruns at SoFi Stadium. And they're going to have a virtual vote among owners next week to determine whether or not Kroenke should get this loan. And Daniel Kaplan writes, Michelle, that the vote should glide through because Jerry Jones, who he listed first, and Roger Goodell are both behind it. How interesting that Jerry Jones was listed first as, mm-hmm. as uh, the powers that be that would push this through. I wonder if that irks Goodell that that Jerry has more power than him. Well, actually, all the owners do. He he obviously works for them, but yeah. to think that Jerry Jones is the guy and that could be the puppeteer and make everything happen that probably has to bother him. But he he won though when Jerry wanted him fired and he got the new contract anyway. So he probably likes that. He says, "Hey, I'm still getting my forty million a year. I don't care what you do." Yeah, good point. Good point. And. As far as Kroenke, once again, the league appears to be deferring to money. But I think we both like to see that things are not going particularly well for the multi-billionaire. You hate to see it, Randy. Well, the the, the pandemic has upset a lot of plans uh, across sports across the country. So uh, the Stan Kroenke L.A. Stadium is, is just one of the many casualties. This really has been the perfect storm for Stan Kroenke. First, the stadium was supposed to open last year in Southern California, rainy season, delayed construction. Now we have the pandemic. You have the... Um, you, you, you have the situation with the Chargers. It, it, it's certainly not going according to plan, but the NFL and San Kroenke are very heavily invested in the Inglewood project. So it, it's going to open. It's going to happen. It's just not, not going to return the. It's not going to have the return on investment that they expected. Oh, man, it's not going to have the return on investment they expected. Now, I I had to smile a little bit when I heard that it was the perfect storm that Stan was dealing with, but. When this all went down, I know that the NFL has wanted L.A. They've coveted it for a long time. And in the immediacy of the move, 
I was watching the way things were playing out, and I wondered, did they even really consider if this was actually a good idea or not? Or is this just something that in their minds they, they thought, hey, we're the NFL, we can make anything a success. It doesn't matter if the appetite really isn't that big. It doesn't matter if in reality the Carson project was a better project. It doesn't matter if we could have solved the California problem in California and kept a franchise in St. Louis that, you know, when not being totally screwed over by their owner is an amazing sports city and a great football town and we could have gotten a new stadium there with corporate support. It just seems like they wanted to get it done and they didn't even really factor in all of these other realities that would negate this from being a general success. I'm sure that the people that knew what was going on were the ones that pushed it through. Primarily Roger Goodell and uh, and uh, Jerry Jones. I understand, and I was told by a very good source, that Steve Biscotti, who was the one who initiated the private vote, he was just a pawn. That Jones went to him and said, hey, can you do me a favor and propose a private vote for this? And Biscotti said, yeah. It didn't matter to him one way or another, but he was just used as a pawn in this situation. And... So the people that knew what was going on knew what they wanted, and that's why it was a fait accompli. That's why it was because the other owners weren't paying enough attention, like you just suggested, and they didn't look at the future. They just were told, we're going to make a lot of money off of this. Well, apparently it's not going to be as much money as was originally thought. One other aspect of this, Kroenke is asking for a loan that normally is to be repaid in 15 years to get a 30-year mortgage mm-hmm. to, to pay this down. How many NFL owners are going to be alive in 30 years? That's a, I mean, there's going to be some cycle through, Randy. We'll put yep. it, we'll put it that way. Yeah. So what they're doing for future generations or future owners in the league is they're putting them in a situation where they're going to have a debt service on something that they are not going to get anything out of. I'm googling how old Stan Kroenke is right now. He's 72. Yeah, he's not going to be around in 30 years. He might not be around in three. I think the average lifespan of an American white male is 76. The reason I know that is because my dad died at 76. Really? Yeah. And I, I believe that's the, the, the average. So unless he has a really good run, he's got four. Apparently he works out a lot. Does he? Yeah. He doesn't look like an athletic guy to no, me. He hikes. He hikes the mountains. Mm, stuff mm, like that. Mm. So we'll see what happens next week. And there might be some owners that vote against this because... If, if I'm an owner, this is it's a lot of money. It, it, we're talking half a billion dollars. I'm going to do the. I'm going to do math on my phone here. Oh gosh! So good four, luck. four hundred and what? You're talking five hundred million divided by, and, and actually, it'll be a total. The new will be five hundred million because he's already borrowed four hundred million. So you've got. 500 million, 500 with six zeros, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> divided by 31 owners. And that would be 16 million an owner. That Just write a check for 16 million to the NFL, and then they'll dole it out. You really want to do that, especially when there's a very good chance that you're going to have to write an even bigger check when St. Louis beats you in the lawsuit. And that's going to be a big check. Yeah. I also wonder how many owners are projecting forward. And they're saying, okay, you want all this money to complete a stadium that isn't going to see fans for how long? And At least this season. We know that about right. California. At, at least this season. 
and that already is struggling to sell PSLs mm -hmm. and that in the wake of a pandemic when the economy is wrecked certainly won't have the, the capital needed to invest in the very expensive PSLs and regular season tickets that you have there. I just I wonder if a lot of owners I'm sure that Jerry Jones and Goodell will bully their way to get it done but I wonder how many owners are like this is a bad idea. And here's one other point. The NFL talks about losing a generation of football fans in L.A. and that they have to cultivate a new fan base. Clearly, those fans over the 21 years that they didn't have the NFL, they don't have a team. Their team might be the Cowboys or the Patriots or somebody like that, but it's not the Rams or the Chargers. Are you more inclined to go to the team that has the cool uniforms and the $100 PSLs or the team that has the non-cool uniforms and the $1,000 minimum PSLs? If you're going to get into a game, don't you want to save some money? Yeah. And I want to wear a cool uniform. It, right. If you if you have no brand loyalty, if you're a person, a, a sports fan in L.A. with no brand loyalty, the Chargers seem to me to be the logical way to go. 100%. And if I'm the Chargers, that's exactly the angle that I'm taking. I'm going to say, hey, you know what? This is a fun Sunday, and it's a cheap Sunday for you. Mm -hmm. If I'm the Chargers, I'm figuring out a way to package this as a family-friendly thing. Well, then they're brilliant because it's, it's going to work. I, the Rams don't even really know what they're doing. It's a dumpster fire on a lot of fronts. But when you see them unveil those uniforms and they think that it's going to look California cool and we're going to, you know, bring in the soul and the sand and it's going to evoke feelings of being at the beach. Do you really think the, the average football fan wants to go in and say, yeah, I love the Rams uniforms because it makes me feel like the beach. I'm getting v beach vibes from, from the Rams. No, that is not what the football fan wants. Okay, this is we're not trying to hang 10 here, guys. I just I don't understand. And, and I'm glad I'm glad that they are that short sighted and that they're trying so hard and that it's failing so epically. But it's just so funny to me that they think they're the smartest guy in the room and that everyone else is laughing at them. Amazing. It's amazing. Did you see, by the way, that they haven't determined which of those jerseys is going to be their home jersey? That horrific bone uniform might be their home jersey. <laughs> That'd be fun, wouldn't it? LOL. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's, that's today's big thing. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. I get the LA Times in an email every day, and I just checked, and I was negligent in not checking earlier, Michelle, but in their two pages of sports page, they had nothing about the Rams and Kroenke asking for the extra $500 million. Now, I know that times are tough in most industries across America, especially media. I know a lot of people have been furloughed and that a lot of media entities are dealing with smaller staffs and they can't cover every story. But that's a big story in the L.A. sports scene, especially when there's no sports going on. I, I, it doesn't seem like the Rams get killed in L.A. the way that I would expect them to be. I would think that if the Cardinals or the Blues or our MLS team were asking for a massive loan from their league that it would show up in the Post-Dispatch. You would think. I mean, this is the second biggest market in America. Imagine if this was happening in New York. Yeah, it'd be a story. It would be a story. and they, I, The New York media would certainly hold Stan Kroenke and the Rams accountable. Yeah, so would the Philly media. So would the Philly media. I mean, 
St. the St. Louis sports media, while certainly fair and tough and critical, I mean, the New York media salivates over things. They'll take shots. I mean, you know that the New York Post is going to put you on the cover with with some sort of hilarious but probably cutting headline. You're not going to get that in somewhere like St. Louis. No, but we would have responsible journalism. Of course. Yeah. But um, to my point, it wouldn't be as severe or no. kind of tabloidy as New York. But if St. Louis, who is fair, would cover it, you would think L.A. should be all over it. Yeah. And you wonder if a guy like Kroenke is stressed. Like, for example, if this happened to the Patriots owner, he'd just go get a massage, right? <laughs> right. You're killing me, Small. I wonder if he stopped that. <laughs> because he's afraid of know. getting busted again. Yeah, it's a kind of an addictive thing, probably. <laughs> Well, you know, Randy, right now, that is not a socially distant activity. <laughs> you should not be doing that, especially now. <laughs> okay, we have to move on because I don't really Free know. Fox is loving that, though. Is he? Yeah. I don't know. Tom, what, I, I don't even know what's your take on that. I mean, it's not a great look, but let the man live his life is how I feel, right? I mean, he's he's up there in age. If, if that helps him be happy as as he ends, you know, off into the sunset, do your thing, Kraft. <laughs> All right. I mean... Or let somebody do it for you. Oh, God. <laughs> I do get a lot of enjoyment with Randy making jokes about it. I don't know why. It just makes me laugh. I it just, makes me laugh how funny Randy likes. I just don't want to have the visual. I just don't. It, oh. And, you know, it's one of those things that when you talk about it, you can't not think of it. You can't just think of it on a surface level. You think about... I, anyway. <laughs> Go on. Are you going to ew? Yeah, Randy. I'm going... Major ill. Okay. I'm going super ill. Like I don't know if there's really more of an ooh factor than that factor. It's pretty gross. It's pretty gross. And you know, it's one of those things that when that happened, we were like, "Wow, people are never gonna forget this." And while it certainly lessened a little bit, people have never forgotten. Yeah. And they shouldn't. As far as the legacy. Okay, so I don't know how to transition from this, but let's talk about James Harrison. Okay. You're killing me, small. I don't even want to say, but he was on a podcast called Going Deep. <laughs> this is why I didn't want to transition. This is something this. that Robert Kraft apparently doesn't do at this stage. Oh, <laughs> really? Go on the podcast. Going on, go on, going on podcasts. So he was on a podcast that shall remain nameless. <laughs> and he was talking about the biggest fine that he received during his career. You probably remember in 2010, that really brutal hit he had on Cleveland's Brown, Browns receiver. Uh, excuse me, I can't recover from this. Mohamed Massaqua, he had a $75,000 fine. There was a concussion involved afterwards, but... He talked about that experience and Mike Tomlin's reaction after that brutal hit. Most you've ever been fined in one game. One game was 75. Ooh. Is that the Massaquah hit? Yeah. Dude, how you gonna find me setting for the dude? Oh, listen, 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 listen. Um, listen, everything I love on my daddy's grave. I hit that man with about max 50% of what I had. And I just hit him because I wanted him to let loose of the ball. If I had knew they was gonna find me 75,000. I would have tried to kill him. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you. Right. 75? And people say, I ain't gonna lie to you. I ain't gonna lie to you. Uh, but that happened, right? And uh, the gist thing Mike Tyler ever did. 
Oh, we don't have the end of it. Well, the Gia's thing that Mike Tomlin ever did to continue the quote from Harrison, he handed me an envelope after that. I'm not going to say what, but he handed me an envelope mm. after that. And that's really the, the biggest point of all of this because everyone's saying, well, let's jump to conclusions here. What was in the envelope? Well, if it was a G thing to do, it's probably 75 cash, right? One would think it might be more, that yeah. he might have earned a little profit off this, right? Yeah. So they, a bunch of people reached out to Art Rooney, mm -hmm. Steelers president, to say, hey, what are your statements on this? And he says, I'm very certain nothing like this ever happened. I have no idea why James would make a comment like this, <laughs> but there's simply no basis for believing anything like this. That's from Art Rooney II. I would think that, and I can see how ownership would not be a part of this because they don't want to break the rules. But if you're a team that was built like the Steelers were on that defense and James Harrison is just playing the game the way you want him to play and coached him to play. If you're a coach, you're making three, four, five million a year, 75 G to pay a fine. Big deal. I don't wonder if he doesn't tell the Steelers, okay, float me some cash so that we can help this guy out. Yeah, that could be too. Why not? You know? That's, because that's one of your best players. Of course. And you want them to play physical. But right. think about James Harrison saying, I only hit him 50% because yeah. I want to get the ball. Imagine him coming at you with the intent, like, all right, if this is going to cost me $75,000, I'm going to give you every ounce of me. That, I am afraid, even thinking about well, that. And that's what the NFL used to be. And in large part because of James Harrison, that's been legislated out of the game, which is good. It's good for the safety of the game, but it certainly doesn't quench America's thirst for violence like the NFL used to. No, that's why UFC is so big. True. I want. I. I think about that, and then I think I'm surprised hockey is not more popular in America because you do have fights and you do have checking and that physicality, and it's so fast. And the playoffs are the best. And I think about that, the fact that the NFL has lost mm -hmm. a little bit of that, and it makes me wonder why hockey isn't. At, to the level that the NFL is. I don't get it because it also has continuous action. Yeah. Football has limited action, but people don't bet on hockey games. They should. You got to do They should. Absolutely. You're killing me, Smalls. Oh, thanks, Randy. Okay, so we've talked about Blake Snell and Major League Baseball players, the Players Association, talking about they're afraid to put their lives at risk. They're afraid that if they go into you know, some sort of playing situation that they could contract COVID-19. And I wonder how players who are nervous about going into this situation felt when they read that Von Miller had contracted COVID-19 and he spoke about what he experienced while battling this illness. So he has asthma and he detailed what that time was like for him. He says, not being able to breathe, I got asthma, but it was past the asthma attack. Like my lungs were constricting. My asthma nebulizer helped, but it didn't feel like it was supposed to. That was the most frightening part, just going to sleep knowing that my oxygen level could drop and I could wake up and have to go to the hospital. The first four to five days, I was honestly nervous. I wouldn't say that I thought I was going to die or anything like that, but it did cross my mind a little bit. Wow. And there are is certainly a group of people in society that are vulnerable. And if you have respiratory issues, you are more vulnerable than most. And thank goodness that he came through it. Most athletes that aren't dealing with something like that don't have anything to worry about. But if you have a, a condition, then you are vulnerable and you really have to take care of yourself. And I, I don't know if he lives in Denver, but the altitude would make it even worse, I would think, for him. You would think. But... 
to see someone like Von Miller, who is a very visible superstar. He's a visible mm-hmm. player who's in peak physical condition. For him to describe it like that, yeah, if I was a player, I would be nervous. And uh, we all feel a bigger sense of comfort controlling our environment. Mm-hmm. And even though the players would be going into a controlled environment, it's being controlled for them. You know, it's different than being in your home and you're the one that decides when you leave or if you leave, how you do it, or if you receive packages, how how those things are handled. So when I read that it had that sort of an effect on Von Miller, it makes me nervous. And especially because pretty much every athlete thinks they're invincible anyway. Yeah. So they have to look at him and say, well, if it could happen to Von Miller, it could definitely happen to me. Right. Thank you that uh, you're killing me, Smalls, here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we are going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Mark Saxon, Cardinal Insider from The Athletic, will join us on 101 ESPN. It's time for The Athletic Insider Report, brought to you by The Athletic, where you can find smart, in-depth St. Louis sports coverage for the diehard fan. No ads, no pop-ups, just quality journalism from an all-star team of writers. Our buddy Mark Saxon is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Of course, you hear uh, Mark here on 101 ESPN, and you read his great work in The Athletic. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? It's, it's good to be with, uh, with you with the new combinations and everything. Well, we're excited to have you. When are we going to play baseball? <laughs> I goodness. That is a complicated question, man. Isn't it? Uh, you know, there's just so many scenarios you can come up with that would sort of torpedo this thing and it's great that they're negotiating hard to get the money done now and then they'll get the health protocols in place and let's hope it does happen um but the more you read and i'm not talking about baseball news i'm talking about science and what experts are saying there's a good chance for a rebound in the fall and so i think maybe the the biggest question of all is could they actually get you know, the 82 games in, would there maybe be another outbreak on the back end? So there's a whole lot of possibilities, but, you know, I guess what I would say is, like everybody else, let's hope they can get a baseball season in or or part of one. Mark, do you, when you're reading all of the comments that are coming out between the Players Association and the owners, and you see that it's going to essentially come down to money, is that something that you think that they can overcome, or do you think that we're in real jeopardy of money being the reason why, why baseball wouldn't come back in 2020? I do think typically in negotiations at the beginning is when you're going to have the sides furthest apart and, and kind of lobbing you know, uh, allegations at each other. Um, I think the owners are more sophisticated about it because what they do is they sort of leak their, uh, you know, latest proposals and then the players have to publicly react to it. And so then everybody jumps on the player who puts his name behind his comments and he ends up looking bad. Blake Snell, I think, would be the latest example of that. But I do think that they will be able to overcome this, this financial thing. You know, really, the owners did make that deal when it was entirely possible that there would be no fans in the stands, at least for the beginning. So it does look a little bit disingenuous to then come back and ask for further concessions. Um, so we'll see, but I do think that most players will vote for it eventually when it eventually gets done. I think for me a more interesting question is what if one or two or ten star players says, you can't force me to do this, this is my health you're talking about, and just doesn't play. What if it's Blake Snell? What if it's Clayton Kershaw? Who knows? But 
that would be a little bit awkward, too, to have some of the best stars not playing. That that doesn't necessarily help the product. It doesn't, but it didn't in the 40s when guys were away in the military either, and baseball was able to come through on the other side and wind up being pretty good. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And, and I think that also brings up another thing, and that is, could you appeal to the players, Randy, by saying, don't do it for the owners, don't even do it for your team. Do it for the do it for your country. You know, we could all use having baseball games on in the evening, and I think that would be the best appeal to the players. Um, unfortunately, right now there's not a lot of goodwill with the owners and the players, so you know that that part could get contentious. But ultimately, I think they'll just have to decide if if they want to be part of kind of us getting back to normal or close to normal. Saxony, I wanted to ask you about Yadier Molina. Marley Rivera posted a conversation that she had with Yadi saying that, hey, when my contract is expired with the Cardinals, while I would love to finish out my career in St. Louis, if we aren't able to come to a resolution, I am open to playing elsewhere. Do you think that the market would be big for Yadi's services? Because Mar- Marley did say that after she posted her conversation with Yadi that several teams texted her to say, do you think there's really truth behind this? Do you think that he would be willing to leave St. Louis because she thinks that there would be a lot of teams interested in Molina services? I do think there'd be a ton of teams interested in Molina services. Just his reputation. I've covered other teams and heard you know perspectives on him. Just he's viewed as a guy who absolutely helps you win. Very much, you know, a guy who doesn't. And he he said this in some of his conversations with Marley. They have a great relationship that it's all about winning, and you see that with how he plays. On the other hand, would it be anywhere close to what he's accustomed to playing for? I think that's a big question. When all this settles out, you're going to have teams in pretty bad financial shape, especially teams who aren't making a big chunk of their revenue on TV, and that would include the Cardinals. The gate is still about 50% for the average team, so... Free agency is going to be in a lot of trouble, um, not only this offseason, but potentially for the next couple to come. So, yeah, I think it's possible Yachty would have a lot of interest, but the numbers might be really, really different by the time this all comes about. Mark Saxon with us on 101 ESPN. There was a great piece a couple of days ago in The Athletic about tales of locker room interviews gone wrong. Tell us your story about an interview that you did with Jason Isringhausen. You guys will like this if you know Izzy, and I, I know you guys probably do to some extent. Um, so this was before he came to St. Louis when he was still in Oakland, and he had kind of not had not been a reliever that long. But I had an off-day feature to do for the next day. That's what you do if you're a newspaper reporter. You always got to plan for an open date that you have something in the paper about the team. We were in Minneapolis at the old uh, Metrodome. And he had just gotten to the A's, and we sat down for a long conversation. And he went into all these crazy things he did with the Mets, where he was always getting in trouble. He jumped out of, like, a third-floor window to go to his girlfriend's house or something and broke his ankle. Anyway, all these crazy things he did when he was young. And I'm like, man, this is going to make for a really colorful, fun piece. Get up to walk away. Go, you know, leave the clubhouse. I got my story for the next day. He yells across the clubhouse. I don't want none of that stuff in the paper. (laughs) I don't know what he thought I was uh, writing it all down for, but there goes my story. I actually walked across the room and negotiated to keep a few of the items in there, so I was able to get something in the paper. But I was crestfallen at the moment. And then when uh, ultimately all the stories wound up coming out anyway, right? They did. 
did, absolutely. Because, you know, Jason is a guy, he's a friendly guy, super nice guy. He, he talks and he's colorful and it all came out eventually. But it was one of those moments, it's like, my God, what's going on here? What was the story that you negotiated with him to keep in the paper? What was the best nugget that you were able to get and put into print? I think he was playing softball on a team sponsored by a local Florida strip club. And I think I was able to get that one in there, but the the crazier stuff didn't all get in there. But it, it was good enough where people read it and were entertained and learned a little bit about something about Izzy when he was very young, by the way. Now I know he's a he's a family man and everything has changed, but he, he was kind of a wild child as a young man. And he was always one of those go-to guys as a closer because he, he was fine after he would allow a game-winning home run. Did you have a player, and you've covered multiple teams, do you have one or two players that stick out for you that were your favorite to deal with on a regular basis? And it's not just, for people that aren't aware of it, we, it's not just, especially from a writer's standpoint, just interviewing them after games, but it's before games and just cutting it up with players in the clubhouse. Did you have anybody that st- stuck out for you? Yeah, several actually that jump out. Tory Hunter was just so fun to be around. You know, I, I covered him in Anaheim. Just a big personality, loved people. You know, he was one of these guys a reporter would walk over and it wasn't like, oh, God, i got to take time out of my day to talk. He was actually genuinely glad to see you. So he's a guy who sticks out for me. A.J. Ellis, the catcher, you guys may remember, just a a really bright guy, fun to engage with. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, i got to single him out because, again, when you're a superstar player, there there are so many people, you know, grabbing at, at your time. And Paul Goldschmidt, every single day, is in the clubhouse available for interviews. Now, is he a colorful interview? No, but he's always a gentleman. He's just... He's just a very easy guy to kind of be around, and I, I think I should say that. I just very much appreciate that, that, you know, arguably the best player on this team really sets a tone of just respect and, and I think, fundamental decency. Did you ever get a chance to cover Tony Gwynn? I did. I, not, not, not around him on a regular basis, but when I covered the NL West, you always had to go over there because he was always, you know, threatening to hit 400 or something crazy. And just incredibly, I'm sure you were around him quite a bit too, Randy. Yeah. Just a really, really nice man. And just one of those guys, the Padres would come into town once or twice a year and he'd remember your name and he was gregarious and fun. I really enjoyed him. And then locally, Bob Tewksbury, and he's still around, he's working with the Cubs now, but one of the nicest people that you could ever meet. That is so great to hear. And I think he's doing, uh, I don't know if he has a psychology degree, but he does a lot of mental coaching, right? right? And that's cool. Yeah. Hey, always good to be uh, with you on the air. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Good talking to you. That is Mark Saxon from The Athletic with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're going to head down the stretch of this week. Visit with Dan McLaughlin. The crossover to Scoops with Danny Mac is next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin in studio, character and Smallman as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mac. And you two both like dogs with human names. Absolutely. Yes. Count me in. I have currently, as you know, mm-hmm. Doug the dog and... Uh, Doug's been acting up the last 48 hours. It's not been good. Uh-oh. Yeah, that, how old is he now? Uh, Six what, weeks, maybe? No. Seven weeks? 
No, he's got to be old. Twelve weeks, maybe. Okay. Yeah, uh, he was great, man. Initially, he's sleeping through the night. He's doing his business outside. And all of a sudden, uh, Doug the dog just said, the hell with that idea. And then the kitchen became just a perfect spot to, oh. you know, do his thing. So that's not been good the last 48 hours. The, the wife is not happy. So mm-hmm. Doug is a, a golden puppy. And uh, we, we have a golden puppy. But our our other dog is named Moose. And Moose. we got him. Does he look like a busy big old dog? I mean, he can't be a little tiny he, thing called Moose. He's barrel chested. He, oh, he weighs about 70 pounds. Perfect. My, my friend has a wiener dog named Moose. Oh, really? Kind of funny. Yeah, the irony is there. Yeah. Moose is named after Brian Elliott. Oh, and that's nice. great. And we got him the day that the other moose, the goalie, got benched by the Blues in the <laughs> in the series against San Jose. So the first picture we have of Moose, I put him on a bench that's in our backyard, sitting on our our patio in back, and I've got a picture of Moose on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sign of things to come. It from sure moose. was. Yes. So I, you should have called him Jake, though, Randy. You should have gone the uh, actual yeah. human name, and you could yeah. have nicknamed him Moose, but. I just love it when people are like, Jake went to the bathroom in the kitchen today. Yeah. And you're like, what? I wanted to name our dog Steve or Mike, and my kids and my wife are like, no, 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 no. I said, well, I'm not doing like the traditional dog name. We're not doing that. So then we went with um, Doug. So no, now we have Doug. By the way, I can, I, can I just go off on a tangent Yes, here? you may. You know, what's, you know what's weird for me? Now I know why people say, thank God it's Friday. Like, I work every weekend. I've worked every weekend of my life, mm-hmm. and now I get to look forward to Saturday and Sunday being off. It's really a weird thing. I Now I understand why people look forward to weekends. I get it now. And having back-to-back days off, which is another rarity for you, is really decompressing. It, it is. It, because uh, I spent a lot of time working the six- and seven-day weeks covering yeah. the ball club or whatever. And it is. I, I, can, I get it now. Like you, we, we kind of get it that we never got before, that it does help you decompress. Now, believe me, I hope that this stops pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I Believe me, I'm enjoying my weekends. And like Blake Snell, you want your money. I gots to get mine. You know? <laughs> what? Oh, I'm going to talk about it on the show. Believe me. I have some thoughts. I've got lots of thoughts, but uh, and that's why radio allows you to do this. You can let it rip, which I enjoy. There's not somebody in my ear telling me to read a graphic. So um, I, I'm really... Um, I, I have some interesting thoughts. Maybe it will make you think a little bit on, on what he had to say. And I, by the way, I get what he's trying to say, but you can't say that. You can't in the manner in which he did. And if I'm one of his union brethren, I'm like, no, 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 no. We may all be thinking that, but we can't say that. You can't. I don't know what you guys think, but that's the way I took it. Michelle, you said it best. Read the room, right? Read the room, bro. Yes. Honestly, I I understand that you are looking out for your best interest, your best financial interest. I understand all of that. But every American, especially as restrictions on where you can go and when you can go places are lessening, they have to make those decisions to go into work, and they're having financial constraints. For you to say... This is a health and safety issue, but it's not if I'm making my full $7 million. It's not a health and safety well, issue. It's a money key. issue. Yeah, so I, I would ask Blake, so if you get paid in full, now you're not worried about the, the health and safety. Do right. I, do I have that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So if you're not paid in full, now it becomes a health and safety issue. Right. Doesn't fly with me. Me either. And if you and if you say that, you have to understand the backlash that is coming from people who are having to deal with this under far less comfortable financial constraints Absolutely. every single day in this country. Well, it was just a week ago. Uh, the unemployment rate was fourteen point seven, highest it's been since the depression. So, 
when you are a ticket buyer and a fan and you're passionate about the sport and maybe you liked Blake Snell and you hear those comments, um, that's not going to fly. And Dan, I, I just looked this up because I wanted to make sure that it was correct. The Fed announced yesterday that 40% of those in households making less than $40,000 a year in America, 40% of those in households making less than 40000 a year lost a job in March. Exactly. Wow. That's and, almost half of the people and, making less than 40000 And you're going to ask these people if and when the economy comes back to some extent to buy your tickets to go watch you play. So collectively as a group of baseball, whether you're on the owner's side, whether you're on the player's side, and I'm kind of on the fence. I see both sides. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're going to ask these people to come buy your items and come support you and come go to the games. But when you have a guy come out and say that, uh-uh, that doesn't fly. And so for me, and I wonder if this happened the union and the the top players of the union might want to make a phone call to to Blake and say shut up just shut up we we don't want you to talk about this we understand what you're saying and by the way we agree with you on a lot of what you're saying with the health and safety and i do too mm-hmm. me dan mclaughlin i agree but you can't say it right just keep your mouth shut we'll handle the pr of this we'll spin it our way but we can't have that out there because it's a bad look and it was a bad look period yeah, and there are people that side with the players 100% of the time. And like I've said, if I'm certainly am not going to begrudge anybody in our country saying what they want to say, even though you're right. It's probably not going to be t- accepted well by most of the population. The other thing is, if he is so strongly convicted about his health that... If he doesn't want to do it for two and a half million dollars, if he don't doesn't do want it. to play, don't do it. Right. No one's holding a gun to your head. And that's the point. The, the risk mm-hmm. uh, that all of us are going to face, the risk that you may feel when you go to the grocery store or go get your gas or walk in anywhere, that's the risk that you're going to have if you play baseball, too, to an extent. Would you guys agree? 100%. And so, to me, it, the best thing that he could have said was... I'm concerned about the health and safety of myself, my teammates, any of our traveling party, and I hope to get this worked out. That's all you had to say. That's all you had to say. And everybody has a price tag for what they're comfortable with. For some people, it's $1,000 because they need to make their mortgage or they need to feed their families. For him, it's $7 million. And that's okay. You have the right to put that price tag on your, quote, health and safety. But then don't spin it in a way as if you're not going to be protected. Because, again, read the room. A lot of Americans would love to go into a workplace where everyone around them is getting tested twice a week. And when everyone around them would know within 24 hours if they were in proximity of someone that was infected. Oh, I think a lot of Americans, if you said, um, by the way, uh, go to spring training, okay, and then there's going to be this thing called a pandemic. It's going to hit. And then uh, we're going to give you a advance on your salary, which for you will be a quarter of a million dollars. And you don't have to do anything. You can sit at home and, wa- and watch TV and play video games and collect over $286,000, which is what he's done. I think most people would say, count me in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I, I'll do it for sure. You know, Definitely. I, 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 I was just floored when I saw it, just just how it was delivered. And again, I want to be clear about this. I understand what he's trying to say and, and many things I agree with. But if you're that grocery store worker, you're the person on the front line, you're somebody that's going to work every day and you hear that, that turns you off. How does it not mm-hmm. right. turn me off? Yeah. Danny has Chris Pronger coming up. We talked to Mark Saxon about his favorite baseball players to cover. Is there 
has there been a more fun guy to cover in our town than Chris Pronger? I don't think so. Uh, I, I was tight with him when he was playing. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I want to get into is, is number one, the trade that brought him to St. Louis. Mike Keenan, having his uh, jersey retired when and if we can ever get back to it and what that would mean to him. Um, and then I, I, I just found him to be enlightening because... He would have a take like a Blake Snell, but it would come out a little differently. And it was a, a take that many times he would pull me aside uh, off the off the air and off the record and say, hey, here's where we're at as a team. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I mean, he was great. He was great to deal with. And by the way, man, did he back it up on the ice? Mm-hmm. I, I've said this many, many times. People have asked me, who is the best player you ever covered in your time with the Blues? And McKinnis would be there. Grant Fear would be there. Certainly Gretzky, obviously, was a great player. Um, but the, the the one season that he wins the Norris and the MVP, I've never seen a more dominant player in hockey then or now. I, I've not seen it. He was unbelievable because he never left the ice. Right. He played in every situation. And he was able to do it because he was so big. He knew the angles. He kept himself in great condition. And it's a great story from him showing up as a boy in St. Louis, being booed, and then all of a sudden turning into a Hall of Famer. Two great prongs things. Number one, we were talking about coolest Cardinals the other day. Mm-hmm. He literally died on the ice yeah, I mean. in 1998. His heart stopped. It was then unbelievable. He, then he played four days later. Right. Took, yep. it, took the puck to the chest or whatever it was and then collapsed. I mean, it was like, it was scary watching it because everything just dropped. It wasn't like you just dropped to a knee because you got hit. He just flat out dropped and it was so scary. Yeah. And then he is, uh, by all accounts, a great fantasy football player. I didn't know that. Yeah. By the way, his kids are really good basketball players. That's been, I'm that's not been surprised. It. I, I've seen his, his uh, kids play. They're really, really good. And both uh, our sons play in the same. Um, uh, group. It's the, um, the Knights, the Knights mm-hmm. program. And they're different age levels, but they always have these jamborees, and so I would run into them, and they're good players. It's fun to see a Are guy they that's tall a like high, him. Yes, and it's fun to see a guy that's, and there's tall and lanky, too, mm-hmm. just like him, but Here's a great hockey player, and yet his sons are basketball players. Pretty cool. It's uh, like the reverse of Popeye Jones and Seth Jones. It's great point. Yeah. Who would have thought that, huh? Yeah, right. The former NBA yeah. guy with a son who's a defenseman in the NHL. Well, a maybe, good one. Maybe you have uh, Yachty's kid becomes a hockey player. Yeah, it could be. You know, his yeah. son loves hockey. That'd really? Be awesome. Yeah. Oh, he loves it. Loves the blues. Yeah. Back in the day, not too long ago, Overtime in the NHL used to be four-on-four rather than three-on-three. Joel Quenville, most teams would put out two forwards and two defensemen. Joel Quenville would put out three forwards and Pronger because Pronger could cover the entire back end of the ice. It was unbelievable. I'm telling you, the angles that he got on guys because of his reach and how long. And he knew, for lack of a better way to put it, but his strides, he didn't... um, Max out, uh, no. even though he is he, max out. He made effort, it look easy. He made it look easy. He was gliding. And then if he needed to, to get it to another level, another gear, and physicality was a part of it and riding a guy out in the corner, he could do it. But I, I'll never forget that year. And it, it was unbelievable when McKinnis and Pronger were on the ice. One or the other was always on the always. ice. And that's two Hall of Famers, and we had them for a long time here in St. Louis. Looking forward to the show. Have a great weekend. Chris Pronger coming up. Have a great weekend, guys. Always good to be with you. That's Dan. Uh, Great job today by our producer, Tommy Freeze Pops Carroll. Thank you, sir.
Thank you, guys. Talk to you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Colin Surrey is always doing a great job as our board op. He'll be with Dan. Michelle, it's been another successful week here on Character and Smallman. I had fun, Randy. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks a lot. And thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. And for all of us until Monday at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.